What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Tell It Like a T.I.S. podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Friday, October the 14th, the year 2022. Lots to do here on the Jam Pack Show uh, as we uh, are knee-deep into the uh, baseball uh, playoffs with the American League and National League Division Series entering the weekend. We will recap games one and two between the Manners and the Astros as the series heads to Seattle on Saturday. Recap uh, game one of Guardians and Yankees and preview game two coming up a little bit later on today, early this afternoon. Uh, recap games one and two of the National League side of things between the Phillies and the Braves and the Padres and the Dodgers as their series resumes in Philadelphia and in San Diego coming up later on Friday night in week six of the National Football League as well. Uh, got uh, five games I want to delve into here uh, later on coming up in the show and of course the week six picks against the spread and also uh the uh recap the absolute the just absolute waste of time and just utter catastrophe that was between the uh Washington co- between the uh, Washington Commanders and the uh and the Chicago Bears which I will have plenty uh which I will have plenty to say on uh as well uh, but where we will begin is with the baseball here on this uh, football Friday if you will uh, with the uh, Seattle Mariners and the Houston Astros, we'll begin with that. Se- we will begin with that series uh, first, and what has just been two absolutely exciting and compelling baseball games uh, between these two American uh, American League uh, Western Division uh, rivals. Uh, just to gloss, just to quickly recap Game One, and I'll delve into Game Two a little bit here in a minute. Um, game one was just an absolute classic, uh, Jordan Alvarez's epic, epic, epic three-run walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth inning off Robbie Ray with the Astros down to their final out uh, when Verlander uh, spit the bit uh, in his start. You know, he, it's not discussed often and it's been lost in the shuffle because he's going to the Hall of Fame and one of the best uh, pitch, one of the best starting pitchers of my generation, and he's had an absolute renaissance bounce back of a season coming off of uh, Tommy John surgery, where essentially we didn't, we have, we hadn't seen him pitch consistently at a high level for uh, for about two years, and he has a sensational regular season in 2022, in which he did, and he comes out his first postseason start of this 2022. Uh, postseason, and he and he get he got bombed in the game. Four innings pitched, ten hits, six runs, all of them earned. A walk, the batter, and gave up a uh, and gave up the a home run to uh, to Crawford in the fourth in the fourth inning with nobody on and two out. Uh, and just had a terrible performance, and the uh, and the and the Astros looked like you know dead to rights. First game in about at that time six first game in six days long layoff. Manners coming off of that, off of that emotional, thrilling, and and uh, and just uh, emotionally not uh, not emotionally draining, but emotionally 
uh, energizing, that's the best way to put it, that energizing and emotional victory uh, against Toronto on Saturday afternoon when they were down eight, when they were down seven runs, came all the way back, you know, look like they were dead to rights. Here we go again on to a game three. And they come back from the pits of hell to, to, uh, to uh, put together that historical comeback in which no road team in the history of the postseason down seven runs or more was able to come back and win a baseball game until the Mariners did it on a Saturday afternoon. And they came, and they came back in of winning that game, sweeping the Blue Jays in that in their own building, and uh, and had a date with their division rival uh, Astros in what in what is for them a second round playoff series, and the Astros the first round of course with the best record in the American League, and they come out firing all cylinders, look like they haven't skipped a beat uh, since uh, their week since last weekend up up at the six, and then they come down to Texas to take to put take on Big Bad Houston and the Ace Verlander he. He fouls. He fouls up the game. Just a horrendous, horrendous uh, night at the night at the office in which the Astros were. Excuse me, in which the Mariners were nursing a uh, a uh, six a six three lead heading into the top of the heading into the uh, top of the fifth inning in which it stayed that way until the seventh and the as and Seattle got up uh, and Seattle got up uh, seven to three. On uh, got up seven to three on uh, on on uh, Houston, uh, courtesy of a uh, home run by Eugenio Suarez off of a uh, Christian Javier, uh, in the top of the seventh inning. And you think, okay, well, Seattle's got game game one in their bag, which is something that they had to, which is a, and winning one game in Houston out of the first two in the series is something that Houston or excuse me, which is something that was the best case scenario for Seattle and something that Seattle had to accomplish uh, because they know if they go, because they knew that it, heading back to their building on a Saturday and Sunday afternoons uh, with at least taking one game uh, in Houston, taking games one or game two, but game one especially would go a long way uh, because, you know, you win game one, at worst you head back home for a game three with that crowd experiencing his first ever home playoff game in 21 years. They go back amplified, they go back hyped, and they're going to be totally into it with worst, with worst case scenario, the series tied at a game, the series tied at a game apiece. First to win two games wins the uh, he wins uh, wins the series, but uh, it did not happen. Your the uh, Scott Service brings in Robbie Ray in the ninth inning, which I quite which I did not understand. He stinks completely. One of them over, just one of the most overrated pitchers, if not in all of uh, the American League, definitely in all of baseball. He's just absolutely pathetic. Single and a walk. I mean, it, it was it, the the uh, the Mariners' chances of winning that game. Were, do- were doomed to hell uh, right after Robbie, once Robbie Ray came in in the bottom of the ninth. And, um, and, or, or, and uh, it wasn't a uh, walk, it was a hit by pitch and a single. He hits uh, David Hensley on a hit by pitch, gets out to it for a crucial out number two, and then Jeremy Pena singles to keep the game going. And then uh, and then he throws two consecutive fastballs right down the heart of the plate to Jordan Alvarez, who is just an absolute stud of a player. I mean, you want to talk about one of the best uh, hitters in the American League, not named Aaron Judge, not named Aaron Judge, or not named Mike 
Mike Trout in 2022 go no further than uh, Jordan Alvarez, who is, who has had who had a sensational uh, regular season this year, who looked like until Aaron Judge went on the historical tear that he went on. Uh, hitting, of course, over 60 home runs, breaking the American League single-season home run record, and and flirting with winning the Triple Crown, uh, had a sensational regular had a sensational regular season. Hit 306, drove in uh, 97 RBIs, hit 37 home hit 37 home runs, and had an on-base percentage of 406, slugging of 613, and an OPS of over a thousand at 1000 uh, at 1019. Had a sensational regular season. Season, and has had a, a very good series uh, so far, but uh, gets two consecutive fastballs right down his wheelhouse thrown by Robbie Ray, hits the ball into the top tank in right field, Astros down to the final out, hit a walk-off home run to steal, and I do mean, <laughs> because that is a game they had absolutely, z- that the Astro fan deep down will will tell you and that's part of the reason why why the home run was so dr- great and so dramatic is that that is that the Astros stole a game and won a game that they had absolutely no business winning but thanks to uh, but thanks to the fact that this Astros team Astros team whether we like it or not st- uh trash cans and uh, and sign stealing and buzzers taped taped on it you know taped their body like they're wired by the FBI aside this this Astro team it doesn't matter if they're managed by AJ Hinch or they're managed by Dusty Baker this team has got guts they got mental toughness they are they are tough they are so, they are as tough they are solid as a rock they play, they make you earn every single out you got to earn all 27 outs in order to beat this in order to beat this baseball team and they play with the heart and the mentality of a champion whether we like them or not whether we respect them or not is irrelevant this this is this is a gutsy gutsy baseball team in order to whether it's in october in july or in august you gotta you beat the Astros unless unless they're riddled by injury or something unforeseen crazy happens in a sequence of a game. In order to beat this Astros team, you gotta earn it. You if you if you can beat the Houston Astros, you've earned it. Trust me. They give you they they do not lie down and die. You got to work your asses off and essentially play perfect baseball innings one through nine in order to beat them. Problem is, is that the is that the Seattle Mariners played perfect baseball innings one through seven. Played perfect baseball for about eighty five percent of the game, but the last fifteen was all Houston, and the last fifteen percent remaining of that of game one was the was was the difference maker. And Jordan Alvarez just absolutely just sensational. Uh, and get this. With a Jordan Alvarez, he is the first player in MLB postseason history with multiple career go-ahead home runs in a sixth inning or later when his team is tra- when it, when his team is trailing. Hit the walk-off home run uh, on in game one and hit the go-ahead home run in game two, which will get which we will get here uh, in ju- in the next uh, f- in the next five seconds as the Astros. Head to Seattle on Saturday with today, of course, being the off day and travel day with the two series to none lead. Uh, Seattle Mariners on the brink of elimination, on the brink of getting of getting uh, 
swept in return by the big bad Houston Astros. They took care of business in one game two by the final score of four to two. Jordan Alvarez, of course, the stat that I mentioned, go ahead, home run in the bottom of the eighth inning. I mean, this is I mean, this is a player, or excuse me, bottom of the sixth inning. I, I apologize. Uh, just uh, what a postseason he's had. He's hitting. He's hitting uh five hundred in this. He's hitting five hundred in this series, of course, with the two with the uh, with the two home runs, and uh, he's got five RBIs in this series. They don't hand out uh, MVPs for the divisional series. They only do it for the LCS, the League Championship Series, and World Series. But if they were to hand out MVPs uh, for the L- for the uh, LDS for these uh, second round best of five playoff series i tell you something right now if the Astros hold on and win this series and either take care of business on Saturday or on, on Sunday afternoon Jordan Alvarez by far by far not it's not Bregman it's not Altuve it's not anybody in the back end of the Astros bullpen it's not it's not Diaz it's not Pena uh-uh it is uh it it, it is by Griel no by far the best player on the field on both teams and in the Houston Astros locker room is has been and currently is Jordan Alvarez. He's been he's been the arguably the best player on the team all season long uh, from uh, from April to September and he's been the best player on the on the team right now so far in the month of October. He has been just absolutely Altuve hadn't gotten a hit, hasn't you know hasn't done much of anything in this series so why bring him up but uh but he has just been absolutely sensational he uh won for three of course with the uh, with a walk two rbis and hit the uh and hit the uh, go-ahead home run off of castillo with one on and two out in the bottom of the, in the bottom of the sixth inning and if you're seattle and if you're seattle in this circumstance you got to be absolutely sick sick to your freaking stomach. You had a 2-1 lead uh had, had a 2-1 lead heading into the bottom of the 6th inning and you let one and you let one guy and you got and you've essentially let one guy beat you. The reason why you are down 2-0 in this series essentially is because of one player. You know, in foot in, in basketball, one player can take over and dominate a series. And I don't know much about hockey, but from what I can grasp, the one dominant goalie can 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 take over and dominate a series. The dominant forward can take over and dominate a series and get hot scoring goals left and right. And foot in football, you know, the it's a li- it's a little bit different. But you know, we saw last year with the Rams, Aaron Donald can take over in defensive side of the football and dominate a game on the offensive side. Whether it be Cooper Cup with the Rams, whether it be Jamar Chase with my Bengals last year, whether it was the magic that Josh Allen and Gabriel Davis and company did with the Buffalo, you know, football's a little bit different. It's opposite sides of the it's opposite sides of the ball. One player can dominate and take over a game. Basketball, one player can dominate and take over a series like Steph like Steph Curry did in the NBA Finals with Golden State. And with this series, Jordan Alvarez has taken over and has dominated this series. Uh, from game one to game two, and we'll see if he can continue it in game three. An absolutely sensational series that he has had. 
Um, and in the in the Seattle Mariners, when they essentially have held uh, outside of Alvarez, outside of Alvarez, really they've held the Seattle offense for the most part in check. But like I said with the Yankees series, and it's pretty much the same as applied with Houston. It's not a matter of hitting the ball out of the ballpark. It's a matter of when, and and and, and it's a matter of how. It's a matter of what if you're hitting them with runners on base, and what time are you hitting the home runs in? And right now, the Astros have been, uh, and, and and again, I told you, that's how you win these postseason games. That's how you win these postseason series. You don't want the empty calories, the empty home runs. You know, when you're you're down 5-1, hitting balls out of, hitting solo home runs out of the ballpark. No, those are empty calories. Nothing, nothing. Pitchers do trying to hit swing for the fences. Empty, empty calories. You want them when you're down a run and you got a runner or two on base. Hit the ball out of the ballpark. Postseason baseball, good pitching stops, good hitting. Scoring comes at a premium anyway. You want your home runs to come in bunches. And when they come in bunches, they more times than not are hard to recover from uh, from the uh, from the opposing team's uh, perspective. But the Astros win game, game two uh, by the final score of 4-2-2 uh, as they head back to Seattle with a 2-0 uh, series advantage. Um, if you're Seattle, you know, you got to, this is the most, you know, this, this is, this, you, your backs are against the wall. And this is where, you know, when I predicted this series, Seattle's a lot, Seattle was a live team heading in. They were a dangerous team. They were a team playing with house money, but you know, this is the part in situations like this, you, you, it, it become the you know the, the the nature of the postseason becomes harsh. It becomes a ma- it comes it becomes a matter of the haves versus the have-nots. And for all the young talent that Seattle has on their team, and the and the and the young pitching that they have, and the young bats that they have with with Rodriguez and Cal Raleigh behind the plate. The bottom line is, you match them up mano a mano. The Astros, yes, we can say they won a division by a landslide, won over 100 games, but, but throw regular season success out the window. Bottom line, just comes, just break it down to strictly to October experience. The Astros, there's there's only a couple teams in baseball that may have the Astros match pound for pound that are playing that are that are playing left in this uh, in this tournament. You know the Yankees. The Dodgers, the Braves, but it's a really short list when it comes to teams with with great with you know with uh, tremendous and lengthy playoff experience, and the Manners, no shame again, no shame or condemnation against them. But bottom line is they they don't have the they don't have the experience. They don't have the they don't have the. I don't say I'm not trying to say they don't have what it takes, but the Astros have played in some postseasons in their past. They, you know, 2000. They played in the fifth. They they played in the 2015 postseason, and then they've played in every postseason series from 2017 up towards this point. They played in a 17 ALCS and made it to the World Series and won the whole thing. As uh, as sketchy and and illegitimate as it was, 2008 2018 they got bounced in the AL. CS by the Red Sox. 2019, they went to Game 7 of the World Series against the Nationals. 2020, they finished with a sub-500 regular season record, but they made it 
all the way to the ALCS and play and law and when they lost uh and when they lost to the Rays in tw- in the 2020 ALCS 2021 and made it back to the World Series again and lost to the uh, and lost to the Atlanta Braves. This team's got experience. Some pl- some players aren't there anymore. They used to be there, you know, the Garrett Coles of the world who are now with the Yankees or the Springers who are now with the uh, with the uh, with the now eliminated uh, Toronto Blue Jays. The Carlos Correa who now who announced by the way the other day that he's opting out of his contract and choosing to be a free agent, formerly of the Minnesota Twins. So some of the players have come and gone, but a good decent part of their core is still there. You know, the Lance. Colors of the world, the Verlanders, Guriel, Altuve, uh, you know those, those the, the, the majority players that that are still part of those fifteen and seventeen and eighteen teams are still there, and they got experience and they got experience, and they and they have that experience. And they know what it takes to be to be a champion, and they know what it takes to you know with their backs up against the wall in the postseason. They have that manners. Again, no shame or or insult against them, but they're a young team. They 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 just don't have that yet. An ex, uh, a, a, a an experienced, dominant team such as the Astros are tough to beat. They're tough to beat. We've seen it happen in sports before, a la the AFC Championship game with my Bengals, young inexperienced team. Kansas City's played in every area, has played in every AFC championship game since 2018, hosted every single one of them, coming off back-to-back Super Bowl appearances, they get knocked out. It happens in sports, not saying that Seattle coming back is impossible, but it's a tall order. And if you're the Astros, your mentality heading into game three would be, listen, and this is what I would say if I was Dusty, if I was the manager, look, we got them right where we want them. They're down two nothing. Elimination game coming up in game three on the verge of getting swept. Brink of elimination. Their crowd essentially is go- is is going to be needed more now heading into this game three more than ever than it than they've than they've helped them and that they've needed them all season long because they're going to provide the extra adrenaline boost the extra energy boost and if they're going they if they play a little they're going to play with a little bit more of an edge and play a little bit more intense and with a little bit more more oomph you know, behind behind their pitches from the mound, it's going a little extra zip, extra velocity on it. They're going to hit the ball a little bit more harder. They're going to go out of their way a little bit more to make that extra effort to dive out for that catch, to make that difficult throw because because they're going to feed off the energy of this crowd that's hosting their first ever playoff game in over 20 years. And if it was me, if I was Dusty, I would tell the guys, top of the first inning, you pounce on them early and often. You take the energy out of the crowd. You take the energy out of the crowd. The sooner, the better. Road team first at bat. You put up. You put up two, three, four, five runs against them at the top of the first. Take their crowd out of it and take the and suck all the energy out of the building. Cause you keep. Cause if this game's close and the game and the game's a little tight. And the Ash and the Manners are heading into you know the sixth, seventh thing with a two-one lead, unless they are dumb enough and pitch to uh, Alvarez with run with you know with bases open. 
Manners may end up lucking out and winning at least a game. Simply just feeding off of the home crowd alone by, by it, with it, you know, lying by itself. And with the Yankees, li- listen, the, the Cleveland Guardians have got to prove to me that they, that they can hit. You know, we said it heading into this series, I'll say it again. Yan- the problem with the Yankees is that can they hit? And in game one last, and in game one two nights ago, they were able to hit. Bader, first home run as a Yankee, third inning off of Quandrill, and uh, and Rizzo with the two-run home run in the sixth inning off of off of uh, him with no off of Quandrill as well with nobody out. Like I said with the like I said with the Yankees heading into the series and relating it to Houston a few minutes ago, I'll say it again. Home runs got to come in bunches for the Yankees. They can't have the empty calorie home runs. They got to come in bunches. Two-run, three-run home runs help win your championships. Not the empty calorie solo home runs down five, down four, down six, down seven, or trying to swing for the fences and you do nothing but strike out and pop the ball up in the air all over the place, down one-nothing or down no- or, or in a nothing-nothing pitcher's duel. You got to get the home runs in bunches. That's how you win these games in the postseason. The Yankees are a home run hitting team. Not going to be able to change that. So what you do is you change your approach and you essentially play the small ball to load up the bases and then you send your big bombers out there to 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 bring them all home in in one, in one full swing. No pun intended. I don't understand why Judge is still batting leadoff. When I saw that, when the lineup card came out uh, prior to Game One, I was like, "Boone, really? We're, I mean, we're Judge has Judge has his sixty-two, sixty-three. It was is it sixty-two? No, it's sixty-three. He has the sixty-three home runs. Okay, he's he's got he's got the Yankee franchise in the American League single season home run record. Like that's like that's over and done with now. Well, why we're still why we're hitting Judge? When it, when Judge was chasing Maris, I get I in Ruth and Maris, I I could get it, I could understand it. Hit you hit him lead off more opportunities, more at bats for him to break the for him to catch, tie, and eventually break the record. He's now broken the record, and regular season's over with now. Even if he hadn't gotten sixty two, the regular season it's over. It's over. The postseason home runs and, and regular season home runs, they count with Judge's career home run numbers, but they don't count when it comes to chasing a, a regular season record. This isn't Albert Pujols, you know, hitting home runs 700 in a postseason game counts the same as hitting it in a regular season game in late August, early September, late early October regular season baseball. No, no, no. You know, why are we still hitting Aaron Judge leadoff? I, 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 I cannot fathom for the life of me. As a result, they hit Stanton cleanup, who has been pathetic all season long when he has played. Stanton went hitless, hit Judge leadoff, went all for three, and struck out three times. So I, I, so I don't understand the logic of Judge hitting leadoff whatsoever. Um, but again, the Indians got a hit. This 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 is a if you want to talk about a team winning the battle of mid that is the Cleveland Guardians that series against Toronto or excuse me against Toronto against Tampa was nothing more than a battle of mid they got three big swings and they were able to win the series because Toronto because Tampa like I said can't hit the ball in the ballpark at least the Guardians have a few have one or one or two players on that team that can 
the Tampa couldn't. That's all that series came down to, like I said, going in last weekend. And then, of course, but then they Cleveland, they can't hit. They can pitch. They, they Pitching, they can hit with the Yankees, but they have no big bad bats in with up and down the lineup, one through nine, that could scare you. Outside of Jose Ramirez, who, granted to his credit, went two for three in game one, but he ain't, but I mean, when when you're but when you're uh, seven eight when you're six seven eight ninth hitters can't get can't get anybody uh, can't get anybody on base, you know you, you you got problems. As those two teams gear up for game two, heading in uh, heading into a Friday afternoon with the Thursday rainout, um, uh, it is uh, Bieber versus uh, Cortez. Going on the mound for these two squads, uh, per, expect the pitchers to first team to score two runs or first team to get to the team's bullpen first will win the game. Should be an epic matchup. Yankees and Guardians, 1 o'clock up in the Bronx. We take a break. Just getting started here on this Friday show. We head to the senior circuit side of things. This is the Amatella Cotillias podcast. Back in the flesh. Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now from the junior circuit to the senior circuit of the National League and the National League Division Series. Uh, we will begin with the uh, we'll begin with the East and then work our way west to the uh, to the battle in California between the. Uh, between the Padres and the Dodgers, uh, this series is tied at one apiece with the uh, Phillies taking game one and the uh, Braves taking game two. And this honestly is the one series. Now I understand that we have with that there that uh, we've played all of games one and two except for the uh, Guardians and Yankees series. But I feel confident enough of going on a limit saying that this is the only division series I feel that uh, has the uh, has a great chance of going the uh, going the full five games. You know, I the Yankees are a much better team than the than the Guardians are. Now, what the much better team the Guardians are? Granted, the Padres and Dodgers series is tied at a game apiece, and the and the Dodgers pitching a spotty. I do believe though that the Dodgers are just a are just a better team with more experience in the end. I understand Machado has played in quite a few postseasons in his career with the Orioles and 
and got traded to the uh, Dodger team that lost to the Red Sox in the 18 World Series and 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 was a part of the Padres team that uh, that that played the Dodgers and got swept in the 2020 uh, NLDS. But I, I and Soto, of course, World Series champion with the Nationals. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I feel like the Dodgers are better, are just a better team than the, uh, a better team than the uh, Padres are. Although if you told me that the that the Padres would upset LA at this point in the series with it being tied at a game of peace, uh, best case scenario for the Padres headed to uh, Petco Park tonight. Um, I wouldn't be surprised either. So honestly, the two I I could see the the uh, Padres and Dodgers series going. F- I mean, obviously it would go four games because nobody's going to get swept. But I, I could see it going five. I could see it going five. I am fully convinced that the that the Phillies Braves series could go five games. That I'm more convinced of that than it is than I am of the latter. Um, And I think the American League series will be quick. Will be a quick series, Um, especially the Yankees and the Guardians. That series will that series will be over uh, by you know by the weekend. Um, but getting back to the Phillies and the Braves, you know, the Phillies bats just did hell, did a hell of a job, uh, and game and did a hell of a job in game one. Nick Castellanos had a five, had a three for five afternoon in game one with three RBIs and a seven, six, uh, and a seven, six, uh, seven, six effort for the, uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, the Braves, not a good team in road games, as we discussed earlier in the as we've discussed earlier in the past. Uh, although in totally uh, in Acuna had a three for four, uh, had a three for four afternoon and made a last uh, ditch, uh, had last ditch effort with a three run ninth inning wasn't enough. Uh, as uh, Max Fried got knocked around all over, got knocked around all over the ballpark. I believe we discussed this game. Uh, last episode earlier in the week, so we won't spend too much time on it. But game two on uh, Wednesday night uh, certainly went in the uh, certainly went in the uh, Braves' favor as uh, as their as their starting pitcher on the night. Excuse me, Kyle Wright had an excellent afternoon. He won twenty one games in regular season, ERA of three one of three point one nine in regular season. Wednesday night, six innings. Two hits, struck out six, only uh, walked only one batter, shut down the uh, shut down the uh, Phillies lineup with Harper and uh, Gene Harper, Gene Segura, and JT Realmuto being the only three uh, Phillies able to uh, being the only three or not not um or excuse me not uh not um uh, 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 Segura um it was um. Excuse me. It was uh, Real Muto and Harper, the only uh, p- the only players to uh, get hits off of uh, the only players to get hits off of uh, Real. Let me double check that just to be positively sure. Uh, Real Muto and Harper. Yep, the only players to get hits off of uh, off of right on Wednesday night. Uh, with uh, when then on you look on the Atlanta Bra- or excuse me the Atlanta Braves side of things Acuna Jr. 
uh, had the uh, had a had a went one for three. Olson one for three. Riley Darno one for three nights for them. Riley went one for four. But uh, the big uh, hit. But uh, your big you had your RBIs with uh, Travis Darno. Uh, Travis Darno and Olson two out RBIs from Darno Olson and Riley. Uh, in the game uh, with the Braves going three of four. Uh, hitting with runners or scoring position with the big with their uh, big innings being the bottom of the six with uh, Olsen with an RBI single to make it one nothing Atlanta Riley uh, right behind him in the same inning to make it two nothing and then Darno with a RBI single uh, in the bottom of the uh, sixth inning to, to put Atlanta to a three nothing uh, lead and they would go on to win this game by the final score of uh, three nothing with Kenley Jansen coming out of the bullpen uh getting the save to tie the series up at a game of peace as the series heads to Philadelphia uh tonight uh for uh for game three. I feel like you know with this with this series I I feel if if Atlanta's pitching is on their game I I t- I like their chances as good as anybody to uh to not just of course obviously win the series but to make a deep run Key is you got to be able to shut down the uh, the Phillies batters. What they did in Game Three again, they Harper Harper only one hit, Real Muto only one hit. They held Castellanos, uh, Segura, Reese Hoskins hitless. You do that, you're going to be able to uh, achieve great things. And then on the Philly side of things, you got to take their big bats of uh, Olson, Dansby Swanson. And uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. out of the game. You take them out of the game. Acuna's hitting 571 in this series. Uh, Olsen's hitting 500 in this series. Travis Arnaud's hitting 375 in this series. You got to take those three out of it and quiet their bats uh, this weekend. Because if you don't, you will be in for uh, you will be in for some long nights. Uh, for uh, you will be in for some long nights on the Philadelphia side of things. Uh, in terms, uh, in terms of uh, shutting them down to the western, uh, to the west coast, uh, with the with the National League Division Series with the uh, Padres and the Dodgers, um, you you recap uh, Game One on a Tuesday night. The Dodgers uh, took care of business, winning Game One five three. Uh, Julio Urias came in. Uh, and put up a solid. Roberts only took him out after seventy five pitches, which I thought was would which I was beginning to question, and thought and thought was a very dubious mistake on his part. When the uh, Padres uh, put together a rally in the sixth inning and could not get in, and could not get anybody home, Phillips came in and got the uh, and got the hold in an inning of work. Gave up one hit, uh, gave up one hit and walked the batter, but was able to take care. Of a business, Gratterall and Martin came in to get the uh, hold. Gratterall in pitching a third of an inning, and then Martin came in and put together a uh, gave up a hit, but put together a scoreless ninth to get the save. As uh, as uh, Trey Turner as a Trey Turner home run, throw in a uh, throwing some more uh, scoring off of the uh, bat of uh, throwing off the bat of uh, Max off of uh, Max Munts or Gavin Lux, excuse me. Uh, Will, Will Smith with a double to make it three nothing L.A. Uh, Gavin Lux right behind him to make it four nothing. Uh, Cody Bellinger reaching on a fielding error to drive in Max Muncy to make it five nothing. And the Padres, although tried their tried their best in the top of the uh, fifth inning, but couldn't uh, quite fully dig out of the five nothing hole they put themselves 
uh, end. But Trey Turner beginning the scoring in the bottom of the first, and the Dodgers never looked back in Game One. And in Game Two, things got very interesting and got uh, and got very hairy as the Dodgers couldn't get the job done uh, and lost Game Two by the final score of five to three. Uh, Dodgers had many opportunities to uh, to get the big inning and to tie the game, if not take the lead outright. But they put the but when they had runners on base, when they had runners on base in the uh, in the bottom of the in the when they had runners on base in the bottom of the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and could and can could not get anybody home to at least tie the game up or bringing themselves within a run. You're not going to win many baseball games as they, as a team, hitting and runners in scoring position went 0 of 8 and left runners on base, albeit with uh, Max Muncy with Max Muncy and Gavin Lux having a two po- and Freddie Freeman for that matter having a, a two for four night uh, in game two. But for the uh, Atlant for the San Diego Padres side of things, uh, listen, Darvish. Okay night at the office, seven hits, three runs, walked two batters, struck out seven though, five innings of work. Uh, Suarez and Martinez came in, got the job done, albeit got knocked around a little bit. Hater, if you're a Padres fan, definitely made you nervous, who, and he has had a rough rough uh, uh, first few months. His rough uh, Padres career has settled down as of late, but to begin it certainly was not all peaches and cream. Uh, for uh, Josh Hader in his uh, early days, his early years of as a uh, uh, as a uh, as a uh, San Diego Padre relief pitcher. Meanwhile, Kershaw wasn't great either. Five innings pitch, six hits, three runs, six strikeouts, uh, and a uh, average uh, passable five innings of work on his part. Gratterall came in, uh, had a rough had a uh, rough outing, an inning of work, two hits, gave up a run. Uh, but the back end of the bullpen, but the and Trining also giving up a run as well, and his and uh, his uh, eighth inning of in his uh, inning of work. But Almonte and Canley were able to shut the door, uh, and shut the door back into the bullpen for the Dodgers as this series heads to San Diego for uh, heads to San Diego for Game Three. Uh, and uh, what the bottom line is with the uh, and the Dod and excuse me the Padres, if you're wondering, left eight runners on base, two of eleven. Bottom line in this series is that and these two offenses, you know, are not have not been lax. They've been able to show up, and they've been able to uh, and they've been able to get the uh, job, and they've been able to score and muster up some hits and muster up some runs. Uh, in this uh, young series thus far. But the bottom line is what you're going to see and what's probably going to be a theme the rest of the series is capitalizing with runners on base. The Dodgers, like I said, game two, they were... Uh, they win uh, 0 of 8 with runners in scoring position and left 10 runners on and went and left uh, 10 runners on base. The Padres 2 of 11, which was slightly better. In game one, the Dodgers went. Three of eight with runners on base, with runners in scoring and with runners in scoring position. I should say the Padres 0 of four. So you see a theme with the offenses is capitalizing and getting the timely big hits with runners in scoring position. The teams that do, the teams that do, have won these games in this series. The teams that don't obviously have not have uh, have obviously lost, but also getting them in chunks. You know, getting scoring runs and getting them in chunks, and also 
back into the bullpen help as well. Cleffinger and Darvish haven't been otherworldly, but they've been able to get by. Julio Urias wasn't great in game one. The Dodgers were able to get by. So timely hitting with runners and getting hits and driving in runs with them in scoring position and back and having a solid back end of the bullpen thus far has been the uh, has been the formula for success in each of these teams' uh, lone victories uh, through as we uh, as we as we as we have already completed games one and two heading into San Diego for game three. Back end of the bullpen, it's going to come down to who's going to be able to hit uh, with runs in scoring position late in games, and who's back end of the bullpens will hold up. And that's that's what the series comes down to. What who's back into the bullpen will blink first, and who will be able to capitalize when uh, when when the opportunities present themselves with runs in scoring position. Gonzalez sixteen and one two fourteen ERA in the regular season. Blake Snell uh, coming off of his outing uh, last weekend, to, coming off of his uh, outing last weekend against the Mets. Gets the ball for Game Three for San Diego, heading into tonight. That is a eight thirty seven, uh, first pitch. Um, and also I think what would uh what would hurt uh San Diego heading into this series is that the Dodger fan has been notorious for showing up and taking over a Petco Park in regular seasons past. Uh, they tried their best to try to narrow the ticket sales to only with the San Diego County area codes. We'll see if that will be enough to keep the uh, to keep the uh, pop, to keep the uh, Dodgers fan out of the building. It remains to be seen, and if they can't, whether it's the fact that there's just a lot of S- San Diegoans uh, that are happen to be Dodger fans that take over the building, or they find the loopholes to to it to infiltrate Petco Park. Uh, if the Padres don't have a home field advantage uh, in this series, that could that could do them a disservice. As this series as in these two games and games uh, three and four uh, at Petco Park, uh, just to give you a couple of notes here, you Darvish first pitch and earn a win in the postseason despite giving up three home runs since Clayton Kershaw did it. Uh, in uh, 2017 against the Diamondbacks. Freddie Freeman, what can you say about him? Just a tremendous postseason player with the Braves and now, of course, with the Dodgers. Tenth career postseason home run. All has been hit as a first baseman. Sixth player ever with 10 or more home runs as a first baseman in postseason history. Joining the machine, Jim Tomey, Steve Garvey, Lou Gehrig, and Fred McGriff. Harrison Bader, first player in Yankees history to have the first career home run with the team coming up coming the postseason. Garrett Cole has allowed a home run in seven consecutive postseason starts, longest active streak in postseason history. Joins you Darvis and CeCe Sabathia and Randy Johnson in that category. Asho seven walk-off home runs in, in their postseason history. Only the Yankees have more with 12. Astros were 0-8 in their postseason history when trending by multiple runs had, had a, heading into, or excuse me, after eight innings. That, of course, was ended with uh, with Alvarez's three-run walk-off in game one. Verlander's six earned runs matched the most he's allowed in a postseason game. He allowed six way back once upon a time, 16 years ago in game one of the 06 World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals and the Astros are five and one in a best of five series when they've had a two zero series lead and have won each of their last five series. So, like I said, if you're Houston, get on the Mariners ASAP. You get on them early and often. 
on Saturday afternoon. Chances are you guys have a nice little break advancing to yet another American League Championship Series. By the way, in case you're wondering, the last ALCS that did not, in which the Houston Astros did not compete in, you have to go back six years ago to the 2016 ALCS between the Cleveland Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays. Remarkable run that this team has been on. Remarkable. We change our attention to the National Football League in Week 6. The Week 6 preview, uh, five marquee games on the Week 6 slate. Let's talk about them. This is the I'm to let like it is podcast. Welcome back to the Is podcast. Switching gears now to the National Football League here as we enter week six uh, here on a uh, football Friday. Let me tell you something. Who would have thought, right? Who would have thought the season was a month ago on Tuesday? Or or technically speaking, if you want to count the Bills and... um. If you want to count the uh, the uh, the uh, Bills Rams game, the season was a uh, season was a month old officially on uh, Saturday. But who would have thought, right? Uh, a month ago, this week essentially, that the Jets and the Packers would be a big time must see football, must watch football game. I mean, who would who would have thought that? Uh, now it isn't necessarily, uh, you know, it's be- and it's because of two factors heading into this game. It's it's because of, it's because of two factors. A the fir- well, excuse me. The first factor is that the is that the uh, is that the Jets have played well. Give them credit; they've played well. Yes, they had the fluky. 
once in a one in a million uh, comeback against the, against the Browns. But they've played well. They got they've had the comeback win against the Browns. They they beat the Steelers in the final in the final minute two weeks after that, and then they beat and then they've won back. They've won three out of the last four games. They beat the breaks off of the Miami Dolphins four to seventeen, and they're three and two, and they haven't had a and they haven't had a plus five hundred record in quite some time. And then you also factor into the fact that this game is interesting going in, and you have to. And if you're a Green Bay Packer fan, you have to look. You have to swallow your pride, swallow your ego, swallow your Green Bay Packer fandom. Look yourself and look your look yourself uh, in the mirror and look at your favorite football team in the eye. Got to admit, the Packers have that Packers haven't played well. So you have a team with heightened expectations that hasn't played well, playing a team with lowered expectations that has played well. You put you put it together, and you have yourself a pretty solid, decent uh, early October matchup in the in, you know in the first ha- in the first half of the of the new football season. Packers haven't played well. We discussed early in the week of just how atrocious they were against Green Bay. Why in the world? And we and I'll rehash it again. Why in the world they you know uh, Matt Lafleur didn't decide to get the ball off to Aaron Jones in the final sequence of their final drive of the game and go pass pass. Pass, 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 and constantly put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands. I'll never understand for the life of me. Um, and you know the the defensive line, Wink Martindale and the right in the uh, in the Giants, which I'll get to their matchup with the Ravens here in a minute, in a few minutes uh, shortly. But it was they're bad. They're a bad. They're a bad offense. You know they they had to work their asses off and go and take it down to the final closing seconds of overtime to beat Bailey Zappi and the Patriots the week prior to the Giant game. Uh, they had to work and it was for and they were fortunate that the that the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver were dropping passes left and right and poor Tom Brady had to get uh, Cole Beasley off the street. To play for, uh, to you know, to have some form of a veteran presence in the wide receiver room during that, uh, during that Packers Bucks game of two weeks ago, and we're lucky that the uh, that the Bucks had to delay a game on the two point conversion, else they probably would probably and could have lost that game. Uh, when the Packers had issues putting the ball in, in the end zone in the second half. Uh, beating them, beating the Bears is nothing new, so you give them no credit for that. And then their offense was just completely inept and was out the lunch in their Week One defeat against the Minnesota Vikings when they lost twenty three twenty excuse me twenty three to seven in Week One. So this has just been a completely substandard and bad beginning of the season for for a team that's in a week in a week wide open NFC. Granted, but it's been a very substandard and bad uh, start to the season. For the Green Bay Packers, uh, their offense has just been has been anemic. There's been no synergy, no chemistry, no connection, no flow with Aaron Rodgers and his wide receivers. It's been Alan Lazard, and that is it when it comes to wide receivers and a little bit of Randall Cobb, and th- and that's been all. When it comes to the big time wide receivers, you got to worry about in that room for Green Bay. I mean, it's I mean we saw it in the playoff game against uh, the 49ers, and it's and it's we've it's, it's essentially it's like we're watching the same offense from the 49er playoff game. It's just that Devontae Adams is Devontae Adams and MVS are off the roster. MVS is with Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City. Devontae Adams is out west with Derek R uh, in Vegas. But it's pretty much been the same old offense. Whereas it's put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, 33. 
35, 40 times in a game, having dropped back the pass to these no name wide to these no name wide receivers that can't catch a damn that couldn't catch a damn cold that licked the bottom of a toilet seat. So it's just a it's a bad offense. They're too dependent on Aaron Rodgers when they got a solid run game with solid running backs with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones. The play calling from Matt Lafleur is pathetic. What else is new? And Lafleur is overrated and and just not a big time NFL head coach in my opinion. And thus as a result, you know three and two. I. Uh, I tell you this, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you better thank God that you got yourself a decent defense. Because your defense is the only thing that's keeping you afloat. And even then, last week, their defense wasn't anything to write home about as they allowed Daniel Jones to put up 27 points on him. I mean, really? Daniel Jones, again, we gave him his flowers on Tuesday, but still, Daniel Jones putting up to 27 points with that defense? Really? So I'm I I just I I don't I don't get it. I, this is, I tell you, and this is a and this is a game. If you're the Packers, if you, if you're the Packers heading in, you cannot afford to lose this game to Green Bay. Or excuse me, cannot afford to lose this game to the Jets. You can't. You lose you lose back to back games to the two New York re, to the two rebuilding New York teams. You are you a you'll never hear from your fans and and b that that that's that's not that is not the the way you want to go if you're the Green Bay Packers. And as we mentioned it about a week or so ago, I'll say it again: these are games. If you're the Packers, these are games that you want to win. Because you look at who they put, they got Buffalo. They got Buffalo on Sunday night at the end of the month on October thirtieth. They get a layup with the with the uh, with the um, with the Lions. Granted, but then but then they got three games in a row against Dallas at home, Tennessee on a Thursday night, who are three and two and are competing for the AFC South. And might end up winning it by default with uh, with the Indianapolis Colts self-destructing. Then right after that, they got Sunday night in Philly against the Eagles, who are currently undefeated. And they get a break with the... They can beat the hell out of the Bears for the final time up at Soldier Field on the 4th of uh, December. And then they got a Monday night game at home against the Rams. So they got... So, I mean, you got, they got a couple of... They got a couple of uh, gimme games... You know, not counting this week against the Jets to get a gimme game against Washington next week, a gimme game against uh, Detroit the sixth of November. Uh, but then you, but then um, but then amidst, amidst the uh, or excuse me, in the in uh, in the midst of the uh, of the gimme games, they got games against Buffalo, they got games against the Cowboys, they got games against Philadelphia, and a not so gimme game and a not so easy game against the Tennessee Titans. So if you're the Packers, you're not in a position, you know, for you to be losing a lot of these foot, a lot of these football games. You got you got some winnable games, games that you can that that talent wise, top to bottom, you're better than, and you guys, you know, are in danger of falling to three and three, and you, and you got big bad opponents in Buffalo and Tennessee. Or is not well, not really in Tennessee's kind of a you know a mid a mid team you know but but you got big teams against big teams against Buffalo, Dallas, the uh, the Eagles, and then one and then once December rolls around, the Rams, the Rams in Minnesota. 
and you guys are fouling up and losing games left and you know you you got to play better than that. You sh- you shouldn't have to work. I understand Belichick is Belichick, but you shouldn't have to work to take down a third string quarterback in overtime with the Patriots. You shouldn't be allowing Daniel Jones and the Giants to put up twenty seven points with that god awful wide receiver room that they have, which is somehow some way worse than the ones you guys have. Uh, and then of and then of course uh, and then of course you know getting stomped week one in a divisional game you can't afford to lose or you couldn't afford to lose against the Vikings, and uh, me and the Jets right now heading into this game they're playing with house money. Nobody in the world expects to, especially off of that embarrassing performance in London last week. Everybody expects Aaron Rodgers you get scorched earth Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers revenge games going to bounce back going to play pissed off and. Drop 400 passing yards and three touchdowns on the Jets' heads. It'll be the same old story with the Jets getting, you know, getting embarrassed in beautiful Lambeau Field. So the Jets are playing with house money at this game. They win this game four and two. I mean, they are they're flying. But uh, if you're the all the pressure right now is on the Packers to win this game because they let Zach Wilson, you know, have put themselves as a little bit of an of a score 27 28. 30-something points on on the, on this Green Bay Packers defense, which we all thought was going to be great. And then Aaron Rodgers, you know, has a pedestrian afternoon against the against the Jet defense, which has been which has been impressive at their moments with Sauce Gardner, who's had an impressive rookie campaign at corner. And you allow him to shut down and him and that uh, Jet secondary, which is not an easy secondary to score against. Uh, you know, and the, and the Jets defense is a, has a, and the Jets defense is a solid afternoon. Green Bay Packers are gonna be in some trouble, so this is a must-win game for Green Bay. And if you're the Jets heading into this game, you're playing with house money. You will lose. You lose this game. It's great. It's the Packers. Aaron Rodgers. You're three and three. You'll live. You win this game four and two. Jets fans will be doing handstands. <laughs> will be doing handstands and will be tempted to throw themselves a freaking parade if they beat the Packers uh, coming up on Sunday. As for the as for the uh, Raven, uh, speaking of the of the Packers and the Giants, the Giants take on the Baltimore Ravens uh, in Jersey coming up on Sunday. Giants, of course, coming off of the aforementioned uh, victory against the Green against Green Bay in London last week. Uh, as they play host to the Ravens that won that won a uh, must needed game, snapping their five game road or excuse me, their five game uh, home losing streak against my uh, Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday night. Ravens come to town, second trip in the Jersey this season. Of course, beating the aforementioned New York Jets in Week One when they played them up at MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands. Uh, with the Giants, you know this is a game. That I look at heading into where if the Ravens are not careful, they were very fortunate to beat Cincinnati. Not fortunate, they they earned it, but they didn't play a perfect game. Lamar Jackson wasn't great, missed quite a few big throws where if he hits them, the Ravens beat Cincinnati by 17 points at minimum. Uh, so they didn't play great. The Ravens defense, although they held the Bengals to 17 points, you know, they, if you want to nitpick, the Bengals scored two touchdowns in the game. The Ravens scored only one. Um, so this is a game that you, that if you're the Ravens, you cannot afford. Cannot, and if the, and if Lamar Jackson and doesn't, you know, drive the ball down the field where it's the Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews show in the final half as we discuss, 
Again, the the Ravens were losing in that game in the final, heading into their final offensive drive in the last two minutes. So this is a game, if you're the Ravens, you cannot afford to lie down and die. It's not, okay, deep breath, let your hair down. Uh, you know, if you play, you know, heading into this game against the Jets, you're not 4-2, or excuse me, you're not 4-1, uh, you're 3-2. You're so and you know a loss here, a loss and then a loss in a Cincinnati win. Granted, you're still in the first place by a tiebreaker, but you only have a but you theoretically have a half half game half game game lead on Cincinnati. So so you're only in first place by a slim slim margin. So from a Ravens perspective, you can you gotta let you gotta let last week's victory against the Bengals be a building block to stack in some wins and create a little bit of a distance between you and a struggling Cincinnati team and not essentially keep them in it because you because you walk into the Meadowlands, allow Wink Martindale to blitz the hell out of Lamar Jackson. Your offense can't put together can't put together uh, any you know they can't score and you allow and your defense lapses and uh, and you allow the New York Giants and you allow Saquon Barkley to run all over you and allow Daniel Jones to make some throws. So Ravens have to use have to have to build on top of last week's victory as ugly as it was. They got to build on top of it. Find a way to get to two and a win two and zero. Pray that the Andy Dalton wins his third straight revenge game against the Bengals. Then all of a sudden you at four and two and the Bengals at two and four. You know there's a little bit of breathing room there in the AFC North. So you got to use last week's victory as a launch pad to 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 build some distance and gain some steam in the in the first place of the AFC North race. But this is a game that the Ravens cannot afford to lie down and die. They cannot because this Giants team, and we discussed this earlier this week, they are a feisty team. They are a gritty team. They play hard for Brian Dable. The culture's completely changed, complete 180 from what we've seen in the Shermer, McAdoo, and uh, Joe Judge days. Daniel Jones, albeit he isn't great and he's not the quarterback of the future, he has, he plays with guts. He's gritty. He's tough. He 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 tries his best to put his team in the best position to win. He makes throws when there's throws there to be made, albeit with the god awful wide receivers he has to throw too. Uh, and then of course Saquon Barkley, who is who is playing, who is in a contract year. Um, and and is playing like the uh, t- playing like the NFL player everybody projected him predicted him to be when he was just a young uh, early round ra- early early round and early uh, t- top ten top five draft uh, running back prospect uh, in the NFL draft uh, qu- a handful of uh, seasons ago who has just had an absolutely sensational campaign to to begin the 2022 season. I do not anticipate the Ravens, who had a tough time, who had a tough time putting the ball in the end zone against the Bengals last week. I do not anticipate them having an easier time against the uh, Giants this week. If there's anybody that knows how to game plan against Lamar Jackson, it's Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Giants, who's done a superb job. He's got that defense playing with with the edge. He's got them playing with the swagger. And you know that this game, they can talk lovey-dovey, Harbaugh, Wink, you know, to the cows come home. Bottom line is, you know, deep down inside, Wink is pissed at the fact that he got let go and that and that he was not brought back as defensive coordinator for the Ravens. 
Cause and I guarantee you get wink in the room. He knows that the problem, the reason why, the, and I and I and this is not just man. Wink, I'm I'm sure deep down knows this and will say it if he got him to a room privately, uh, no cell phones. But and I and I've said this all along. I said it in the back end of last season. I said it heading into this season. The reason why the Ravens collapsed with an eight and three record and missed the playoffs and ascent and finished in last place in the AFC North. Reason why they didn't make it wasn't at the fault of Wink Martindale per se. They were they were injured to hell and back on the defensive side of football. It wasn't his fault. Problem was, and that albeit he was he was awfully stubborn with his uh, with his blitz packages that came back to bite him in the ass many a times last season. But the bottom line was uh, it, he wasn't the sole culprit. He wasn't the sole or primary culprit for the Ravens missing the playoffs. It was it was injuries, injuries one, Harbaugh two, Greg Roman three. Then, if you want to point the finger at Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, go ahead and knock yourselves out. But he won. It was injuries, and it was Harbaugh with his with his in with his late game, in game management with being so trigger happy to go for two. And, and or go for it on a fourth down when he didn't have to, when all he needed was just to take the points or get off the field and punt the football and pin and pin the opponents back deep, as we've discussed ad infinitum. Uh, but if but my main point is, if you don't think he's gonna he's gonna he has a little bit of an added incentive to make sure that his defense puts Lamar Jackson on his ass and gives him fits, you're not paying attention. So I think that scoring will come. I think this will be a defensive uh, battle similar to what we saw last week between Baltimore and Cincinnati, where the first team to score 17 to 9 to 19, 20 points will be the uh, will be the victor of this game. I see Wink Martindale throwing 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 package throwing blitz packages and defensive schemes at Lamar Jackson that uh, you know that will, that will that will spook him a little bit. And I see this, uh, and I see this Giants defense having a solid afternoon uh, coming up on Sunday. Put it to you like this: If you play daily fantasy, I suggest, or or if you're, or if you play regular, regular, you know, the regular, uh, regular typical fantasy football and a giant. If you play regular fantasy football and the Giants defense is on a waiver wire, pick them up. If you uh, if you are uh, play daily fantasy, I suggest I suggest to play the Giants defense. Held the Packers offense in check in the second half last week. Wink Martindale knows Lamar Jackson better than arguably any defensive coordinator in the NFL. I'd take him. I would take him. And then if then from a Raven side of things, you cannot you gotta learn from the mistakes that Green Bay made last week. And and they got a they got a solid secondary as is. Uh they got a solid secondary, the Ravens is for that matter, as is. They should have an easy they should have an easy time. Uh they should have an easy time of taking care of that god awful uh, <laughs> wide receiver group that the Giants have. The problem is are they uh, the problem is will they be able to will they put a spy on Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones and one reason why the Giants defense has been able to move the ball downfield and put up points not just Saquon Barkley running the football as well as he has but Daniel Jones can move he's he's quietly quietly a a, a decent dual threat quarterback in the NFL decent.
And, you know, there are going to be times receivers aren't open. He's going, yeah, and the game's tight. It's, if the Giants have, especially if the Giants have a lead, you won't see Daniel Jones trying to make throws where there aren't where there aren't throws there to be made. He's going to tuck a, he's going to tuck it and run. Especially if if the Ravens are playing man and uh, and there's no spy and there's no spy sitting there watching them. Daniel Jones is going to take off and run. That's going to be a good game, good defensive game. That's going to be a good game. Jets and Packers and Ravens Giants. I feel will be will be games that 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 that, will, that are intriguing to watch going in, and I feel will be very good games uh, in the one o'clock window. But none will compare to what we will get between the Bills and the Chiefs coming up at, coming up at four twenty five at Arrowhead. As it's a rematch of uh, last season's uh, thrilling divisional playoff game back in uh, back in January between these two squads that went into overtime. Of course, Travis Kelsey game uh, game winning touchdown catch to uh, painfully end the Buffalo Bills 2021 uh, campaign. I don't think that this game uh, will be as high scoring and will be as high as will be as offensive, heavy, and crazy as the playoff game, uh, as the playoff game, uh, as the playoff game was, uh, for a few reasons. One, I th- both teams have improved uh, on the defensive side of the ball. The, the, uh, pay- the Chiefs' defense last season was deplorable. And the uh, and the Bills defense, although of course no Micah Hyde for the rest for the remainder of their season, they do add the X factor and uh, and Von Miller, which I'll get to in a minute. So I do not expect it will be an offensive heavy crazy game. You know six, you know sixty seventy combined points, sixty seventy eighty combined points. I feel like this game, you know twenty. Uh, this has to make it be like a 27, 24, 24, 21, 24, 17, 20, 28-24 type of game. I don't see anyone reaching uh, the two. I don't see anyone reaching the seventy or not the seventy, the uh, the thirty point uh, margin in the game. I do think it'll be highly competitive, come down to the wire. But I don't think it will be what we got uh, in the playoffs uh, for the reasons I just gave you. I do see this also being a game in which um, in which if it isn't competitive. Or and or if the uh, Buffalo Bills uh, win this game, I could see it. Uh, I could see it be, being because uh, Von Miller uh, will just uh, wreak havoc and take over the game, and will make a Patrick Mahomes life a living hell. I was not impressed from what I from what I saw of the Kansas City Chiefs offensive tackle, specifically with the uh, with the uh, with the Raiders' pass rush and how they. Uh, handled Max Crosby, who is just a phenomenal talent, um, and I have, and I got a funny feeling that uh, that Von Miller will have himself a a solid highlight reel uh, filled uh, football game uh, coming up on Sunday afternoon. You th- you figure that you know one of the reasons, one of the uh, flaws of Buffalo in them, and one reason why they lost that game was because of their was because of their defense couldn't get off the field in thirteen seconds. 
I feel like that this Bills team specifically will be battle-ready and battle-tested and prepared, not just to win the Super Bowl, obviously, of course, but also, you know, kind of custom-made to shut down the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And I and I got a good feeling that Von Miller coming off the edge will impose his will on this football game, will take advantage, and will uh, make the uh, offensive uh, tackles for Kansas City look foolish again. But I do think it will be a very, very good uh, football game. And the only thing is, though, with Kansas City, you know, with the Bills, you got to worry about Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs. Kansas City, it's Travis Kelsey. If there's a game outside of, obviously, the Colts game being their only loss of the season thus far, if there's a game where Kansas City might not be able to match Buffalo pound for pound offensively, in a game in which they'll miss Tyree Kill, it'll be this one. Because cause Kansas City, I understand Mahomes is great, but I think matching up head-to-head, I don't think Kansas City is the, as their offense, is as their offensively as Buffalo's been this season. I, I, Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs. I mean, why, one two-headed monster right there. Buffalo, okay, stop Travis Kelsey. You know, do you think and the count on MVS Juju taking over the game the way Tyreek, the way to the way that Tyreek and Kelsey did back in uh, back in January? Eh, I don't think so. I think it'll be a good game. I don't think it'll be great. That's just that's just how I that's just how I feel. I and and if you notice a lot of these games this season, the hype going in. The real, you don't you you know is it the the more times than not the games will lead up to the hype, you know the Green Bay and Tampa was a good was a good competitive game but it put you to sleep because because no teams could muster up any offense especially in the second half, so you know Tampa Bay and Dallas won a good game, uh, Baltimore I expected Baltimore Cincinnati on Sunday last week to be a shootout the final score was nineteen seventeen. So, uh, you know, so yeah, few and far in between, you know, you get the good games that, 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 uh, that live up to that live up to the, you know, Dallas and the Rams was a, was a defensive slugfest that wasn't very good. So a lot of the games that we've gotten this season, you know, that we had the Chargers and Chiefs game was okay. It's it, realistically, it's been the best Thursday night game of the season, but that, but that game wasn't great. The Bills dominated the Rams' kickoff game of the season. That wasn't a great game, and not if not if you weren't a Buffalo Bills fan sitting there watching it. That wasn't a good, that wasn't a great game. So a lot of the big games that we've that, that we've had hyped up going in, they haven't you haven't you haven't had any of them really live up to the, live up to the hype. Uh, you know, going into the games as you get coming out of them, so I would, so I would be concerned about that as well. Uh, from a football fan's perspective, if you're counting on this one being a big time remote stopping classic like the one uh back in January was, I just don't see that happening in my honest opinion. Uh, and then the Sunday night game though, I feel like could be the get could underwhelmingly be the game of the weekend. It's been a li- it's a little bit overshadowed. I understand that. Uh, granted, it is the Sunday night game. It is the NFC East and Philadelphia big market, and of course Dallas Cowboys. You know the uh, ratings bonanza that they've been over the last uh, over the last forty over the last forty over the last forty five years or so. 
Um, but but uh, but this game is a little bit over. But the Sunday night game is overshadowed by the fact that it's Bills and Chiefs at fourth at four thirty. But this is a game that if you were to tell me if anything would be better than the latter, I would say that the Cowboy game could be a better game, would be on you know come Monday morning or on Tuesday when the next time we will uh, we will uh, we will. Uh, uh, Commerce or, or amongst each amongst uh, ourselves on the show. I feel I got a funny feeling this game will be a better game than uh, Bills in Kansas City, uh, Dallas with the Eagles. Um, and granted, I understand that the Buffalo and the Kansas City game, both teams four and one, could end up being a difference maker of who gets the one seed and who has to play wild card weekend uh, for Buffalo yet again for Kansas City in Kansas City's case uh, for the second straight season in a row. Um, but this Cowboy Eagle game is a big game, and people are sitting up here saying, you know, it's a disgrace. How in the world is the is the Bills Chiefs game not on Sunday Night Football? Guys, pay attention. A the A M B C never ever 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 in a million years. I don't care if it's Cooper Rush, Andy Dalton, uh, Cooper Rush, Andy Dalton, uh, t- uh, Tony Romo. Uh, Roger Staubach, Troy Aikman, it doesn't matter. Dallas, the NBC is never in a thousand years going to ask the NFL to flex out of a Cowboy game, especially in in, uh, in early October. So that that's the first thing. Second thing. Second thing is. Uh, you know they got the Eagles, which is which is the Philly market, which is a big time market, bigger market than Kansas City and Buffalo, uh, uh, Western New York is. Uh, third, it's a, third is it's the NFC East, which NBC along with Fox loves showing you on a yearly basis, as we've learned over the last decade plus. And then and then and then lastly, this matchup is for first is this matchup is for first place in the NFC East. Cowboys are four and one, Eagles are five and zero. Oh. Winner of this game, if it's the Eagles, they remain in first place. If the Cowboys win this game, they're in first place, uh, via tiebreaker. And the Eagles, and the and it's the and it would end up being the Eagles' uh, first loss of the 2022 season. So, so there's not a chance. Now, also, also, uh, CBS protected this game. They had, they've had, they've had the, they've had these two, they had these two teams play in the playoff. They, it was a CBS game when they played in the playoffs back in January. It obviously was on CBS when they, when these two teams played each other in, in the AFC Championship game of the 2020 season. CBS protected that game. Sean McManus got on the phone, told Goodell, "Listen, I don't want this game going to ESPN for Monday night or going to NBC for Sunday night." We did we did the championship game. We did the thriller back in January. Romo, Romo, Wolfson, and Nance are going to be and are going to be at Arrowhead 425 on our network week six. And you know, and CBS, which which uh, which uh, which gives the NFL a fortune anyway, uh, which is one reason why they get that 425 Sunday extra added playoff game. Which is why, uh, which is why Buck and Aikman were down in Tampa for Eagles and Bucks, uh, and not uh, and not in Dallas for Forty Niners and Forty uh, ers and uh, Cowboys back in January. But CBS, which is which is a longtime partner of the NFL, that now CBS will never make the will never make the same mistake twice in abandoning CBS 
Granted, CBS, you know, if if CBS doesn't have the money, NFL would think twice. But as long as CBS has the money to pay for it, uh, CBS and NFL are going to be joined at the hip for a lifetime. So, and certain networks also, and not just them, but also, but the other networks also have that right to tell the NFL, listen, we want X game, we want this game on our ne- on our network. We don't want you putting it on uh, Sunday night or anywhere else. So CBS had that right. They protected the, they protected Bills and Chiefs. Thus, it doesn't go to Sunday night with Tariko and Collinsworth. It stays on CBS's airwaves for for the late afternoon game coming up in week six. And also, again, it's not like the NBC doesn't get a bad game. Cowboys is the Cowboys, Eagles with the Philly Market, NFC East, which has been on television ad infinitum over the years, and for first place in the division. Undefeated team going up against the Cowboys with a big bad defense, albeit Cooper Rush, no one, you know, albeit nobody necessarily wants to sit down for three hours and watch Cooper Rush play behind quarterback, but they are four and one. They are in second place. The game is for first place in the division, and they do have some playmakers on defense. Michael Parsons, of course, being one of them, who you do want to see play going up against the dynamic Jalen Hurts and the offensive weapons that the Philadelphia Eagles have on that team. But uh, long story short, this is a this has the opportunity to be a riveting football game. I will be very interested in seeing how of how the Dallas Cowboy defensive front matches up with that uh, Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, which has had which has had its moments throughout this young season thus far. Cardinals defensive front gave Jalen Hurts a little bit of a problem last week. We'll see if they'll be able to withstand uh, this week. I mentioned it on Tuesday. I'll say it again. It'll be intriguing to see that if the Philadelphia Eagles with a lead. Will they be able? Will they succumb to the pressure of the Dallas Cowboy defensive front in their pass rush? And will they be able to hold to hold serve and to uh, and hold on to leads late in games? You know they they had the work to beat the Cardinals last week. They had the work to beat the Eagles week one. You know and it got a little hairy at times uh, against Jacksonville a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. But you know how how will they able to how well will they be able to hold up against the Dallas Cowboy defense and and what will their game plan be and a shutdown Micah Parsons D Law and that and that vaunted uh, Cowboys defense uh, remains to be seen and how well will you know will Diggs match up against you know Devonta Smith or will he go up against Big Bad AJ Brown I'm also I'm also inter- interested in seeing that as well and how and how and and the defensive looks the Eagles will give. Cooper Rush, and will they have a heart? You know, could the cowboy the cowboy offense did not have the easiest of times uh, scoring last week against the Rams defense. We'll see if uh, we'll see if they will be in for a better game uh, on Sunday night against the Philadelphia Eagles, a game that I expect to be low scoring, competitive, but a solid football game. I say, you know, a, a twenty, a, a twenty to seventeen, twenty-one, seventeen, twenty-one, fourteen type of game, coming down to a coming down to no more than a touchdown. But I think I, th- but I think we'll be in for a good game on Sunday night. And then to put us all to sleep, we got to watch the Denver Broncos offense play on, uh, play on, uh, play on a Monday night. Uh, going up against the going up against the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers, of course, Brandon Staley, who we destroyed. 
uh, on a Tuesday for inexplicably going for it on four on fourth and short with the ball at his own 39-40 yard line uh, in his own territory. Lucky, lucky enough uh, for him and the Chargers, Kate York missed the field goal wide right as the uh, Chargers escaped with the victory in Cleveland by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin. Uh, as they play host of the Denver Broncos, who have had the longest break that, that a team can have without having a bye week, a Thursday night game followed by a Monday night game, uh, as they head to SoFi to take on, uh, which has been Russell Wilson's house of horrors, of course, as a member of the Seattle Seahawks going up against the Rams. As the Broncos, it's one of two trips in the SoFi form this year. They head back there on Christmas Day to take on the uh, to take on the Rams later this seat later this season in December. Um, the Bronco offense will they be able to muster up anything? The Chargers defense couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop Nick Chubb and the uh, and the uh, Browns rushing attack last week. We'll see if the game plan will change to you know and will and the Broncos and Nathaniel Hack will be smart enough to look at the writing on the wall and say hey, maybe not this is not the time you know for Russ Wilson to throw the ball 30, 30, 35 times a game and trying to make something happen with our subpar wide receiving core we have. Maybe it's just one of those games we just get the ball off and just run the football down at Chargers' throats, send our defense go out there and stop and shut and try to shut down uh, Justin Herbert and uh, Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, and the crew. And maybe we escape out of here with a with a twenty with a twenty one to ten, twenty one thirteen victory. We'll see if the Broncos are smart enough to take to uh, to see if they to uh, to see if the uh, Chargers defense has righted their wrongs from their uh, from their uh, awful performance against the run against against the Broncos on Sunday, last Sunday and uh, and whether or not they'll humble themselves Russ Wilson will humble themselves and not essentially throw their way to keep in the Chargers uh, the keep in the Chargers uh, in the game because we know when it comes to scoring we all know that the Bron- that the Chargers offense is is worlds better than the Broncos offense is if they try to get into a uh, shooting ma- try to get into a shootout and a pissing match with the Chargers offense they're going to end up on the uh, on the losing side that's just all there is to it uh, the Q&A question of last of the episode on a Tuesday that I want to yeah, and you can react and you can access it now only on the Amatilla Like a TIS podcast channel page on Spotify, but it's still up and but it's still up for you guys to uh, access at your uh, own leisure, at your own leisure, excuse me. And the Q and A of the epi- of last episode that applies to this one is, and I quote: Who is the team to beat in the NFC and why? Who is the team to beat? In the NFC and why? Let us know. The Amtel I can tell you is podcast channel page. This poll is only available exclusively on the on this podcast's channel page on Spotify. We take a break. It is the week six picks against the spread. And I somehow uh, tell you what the hell happened in Chicago last night. Back in the flash. The Amtel I can tell you is podcast with Jai Shields. We welcome you back to the Amatelica TIS podcast, and now is a good time to tell you more than ever. Uh, the uh, poll question of today's episode is: Did you watch the Commanders versus Bears game last night? Simple yes or no. Did you watch the Commanders Bears game last night? And it's a good of a time to rehash the one from Tuesday's episode. Have analytics ruined sports? Yes or no? But I go back to today's poll question. 
did you watch the Commanders Bears game last night? Because that was another unwatchable, unmitigated Thursday night disaster on Amazon Prime last night. I don't know how many times, how many, we scream about it all the time whenever the Bears are on national TV. I scream and yell about it in the middle of the spring, in the middle of May when the schedule comes out. I don't know how many times you have to keep on going through this, NFL. I don't get it. You stopped putting... Now, Thursday night, it's a little different because the majority... Because I think like 70-80% of the league uh, plays on Thursday night football this year and for a good portion uh, for the last uh, quite a stretch run. every All 32 teams played at least one primetime game in the one primetime game everybody would play would be Thursday night football. I understand that we're stuck with Thursday night football. It's not going anywhere. Amazon signed a big fat contract, billions of dollars over the next decade plus. They're Thursday night football, so unless something unforeseen happens, Thursday night football is here to stay, and we might as well just accept it as the worst uh as the worst prime time uh as the worst prime time uh slate out of the out of the at the worst prime time st- standalone standalone uh slate on the NFL regular season's calendar so i we i get that but it's 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 an it's enough okay it, it, it is enough with looking at with watching, with having the stomach, with having to look down and look down at the schedule and see the Chicago Bears on national television, I mean it, 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 it's it's enough. I mean I don't get it. We don't put the Lions on often on on. I mean they we re, the Lions really don't even play when they're bad. They don't really don't play on Thursday night because we see them once a year every single Thanksgiving. We see them nationally. Twelve thirty, game gets buried. Nobody watches. I mean, people watch, but you get the, it, it fails in comparison to the four thirty Thanksgiving game in Dallas every single year. But we don't get force fed the, the Detroit Lions outside of the annual occurrence on Thanksgiving. We don't, you know, we when was th- sit back and think when was the last time you sat back and watched the Jets play in prime time. On a regular basis, you don't see the Jets or the Giants all have a lot on prime time. The Jets don't have any Monday Night Football games this year. The Giants had one, but even then, they were a plus five hundred football team heading into the game. When I, it's like we don't get all these teams force fed to us. You know, when the Browns were bad pre two thousand and. 1819 did were the Browns on primetime a whole hell of a lot hell no they were not so I don't understand why the NFL is so hell-bent and I could give a gosh damn about the fact that it's Chicago large market I am not interested in in the market size in which the team plays. I don't care. I'm not interested. I don't care if they play in Chicago. I don't care if they play in New York. I don't care if they play in Los Angeles. I don't care if they play in Philly. I don't care if they play in Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Jackson, Mississippi, Austin, Texas, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Walla Walla Washington, as Doggy would say. I am not interested. I could care less where the team plays. Okay? When it comes down to specifically with football, because football, unlike all the other sports, it's about if the team's good. 
Okay, basketball, baseball, little the market plays into it a little bit, but you'd rather see, but you'd rather watch the better team. But but in but in baseball, the better team more often than not plays in the better market. With bat with base with basketball, it's a little bit it's 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 fifty fifty. Boston Celtics, L.A. Lakers, you know Brooklyn Nets, big time market. But and not but it doesn't always but it doesn't always apply. San you know San Francisco big ish market, but you'd rather watch Golden State. You know uh, the D- Dallas Mavericks aren't exactly Cowboys in terms of the brand, but Dallas obviously doesn't hail in comparison to what the to what Los Angeles has. Phoenix Suns, the good team, made it to the finals two seasons ago. But they don't hold a candle market size into what the LA Lakers into, into, into what the LA Lakers are. So it's so it's Memphis Grizzlies. Everybody wants to watch the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant whole nine yards. But little old Memphis, Tennessee, compared to other cities in the Western Conference, such as LA, such a, such as Dallas, they they you, you, they don't measure up between 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 the two of them. So basketball, it's a, so basketball, it's a, it's a little bit fifty-fifty, leaning slightly towards the bigger markets because the because the teams that play in the bigger markets have the more historical, you know, historical, um, uh, meaningful franchises to the NBA's history. Seventy Sixers with Doctor, you know, Seventy Sixers in Philly, the Knicks in New York City, the Laker, the Lakers in L.A. So basketball is a little bit fifty-fifty. Football market size is out the window. Okay, you put you you put on Packers and Chiefs in the middle of in the middle of July, people are going to watch. Okay, about thirty million people are going to sit down and watch the Bills and the Chiefs play, and it's not because everybody is. is, is it's not because Kansas City, Missouri, that small city that you know, small little Kansas City, Missouri, and small little Buffalo, New York, is going to capture the hearts and the and the and the eyeballs of 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 the American sports fan all across the country. No, we sit down, we watch because the teams are good. Obviously, it's the NFL, but the teams are good. Allen, Mahomes, Gabe Davis, Gabe Davis. Uh, 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 Stephon Diggs, Von Miller, Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones. We sit down, we watch. Andy Reid, legendary Hall of Fame caliber coach. We watch. Okay, has nothing to do with the market size. So the idea that that the NFL, you know, gives us the Bears, Adam Fanime, because of market size, not interested. A, they lie into you because they give you nothing because they've been giving us Green Bay Packers how many consecutive years on national television. Why? Because the Green Bay Packers are a good football team. That's why. They have Rodgers. Back in the day, they had Favre. We watch because the teams are good. We want to see teams on national television because they have superstars on the team and they're a good and they're a good and uh, and they're a good inter- entertaining team to watch. The Bears have no superstars on their team, and they are not entertaining to watch. I don't c- care less about the fact they play in Chicago. I don't care. They are not a fun, entertaining, nor good football team to watch 
on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. They stink. Soldier Field stinks. It looks terrible on television. The field looks dull and dingy as hell coming across on television. As sacrilege as this may sound to people that know me and know that I love the color orange, I'm, I don't love the orange helmet looks. The team is pathetic. The, they are they the the the, the head coach. They haven't had a, a decent head coach worth a damn in a long, long time. The ownership is ter. The ownership is terrible. I mean, come on. I mean, what the hell are we doing? Still putting the Chicago Bears on national television? If you say, well, Jai, every team's on Thursday night football. What seems to be the problem? Oh, go ahead and look at the schedule and see who plays on Monday night. If you think watching the Broncos in prime time on Monday night football in a few days is bad, just wait till you get to see Justin Fields versus Bailey Zappi, Patriots versus Bears. A Monday night from 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 a Monday night from the next you know from three days from now. If you think that's bad, next Monday night will be even worse. Again, why in the hell are the Chicago Bears on Monday night football? You think the whole world is wrapped up and gives a damn that it's a rematch from Super Bowl twenty? Nobody, and I mean nobody. In America, gives a damn that it's a Super Bowl rematch from a from a game played in 1986. Nobody cares. Nobody. Brady is not on the Patriots, and the Bears stink. It is enough with putting the Chicago Bears on national television. I want to see them play on Thanksgiving. I don't want to see them play on Thursday night. I don't. I don't. I damn skip it. I want to see them play Sunday night against against the Green Bay Packers. It's enough. I don't want to see them play on Monday night. It's enough. Think about this for a minute. The fact that the Chicago Bears have the same amount of primetime games this season as the Baltimore Ravens is insulting. To, is insulting. It's insulting to the Raven fan. It's insulting to the Ravens players. It's insulting to Lamar Jackson. It's it's insulting to you, the diehard football fan. The Chicago, the the pathetic, inept, unwatchable, unentertaining, boring Chicago Bears having the same amount of primetime games in 2022 NFL football as the Baltimore Ravens with MVP Lamar Jackson on it that are two years that are three years removed from having the best record in the AFC that's got an MVP candidate on it that 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 is that is that is exciting to watch that's compelling to watch entertaining to watch that also has to that also happens to play the most valuable uh, position in this in this in the game that such as the quarterback position who's playing in a contract year on a Super Bowl contending roster, I I don't understand how the NFL looks at themselves when they when they create the schedule and think that's and think that's appropriate decision making. The Bears stink. The fact that they have the same amount of primetime games as the Baltimore Ravens and that is three is a joke. Is disgusting. Is disgraceful. Egregious. And an absolute disgrace. Okay, I am sick of watching the Bears on play on national television. I'm sick of them. I'm sick of watching them inexplicably play the Packers on Sunday nights. I don't want to watch them play on Monday nights. I don't want to watch them play on Thursday nights. I damn skippy don't want to watch them play on Thanksgiving. It is enough with force feeding and ramming the Chicago Bears down the NF down us football fans' throats. Nobody wants to see them play and put us to sleep in prime time. It is enough. It's enough. 
I'm tired of it. I don't care if it's Mr. Trubisky behind center, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields, Ibraflus, uh Matt Nagy as the head coach, Mark Tressman. I'm not interested. Lovey Smith, I'm not interested. And watching the Chicago Bears. You know where the Chicago Bears belong on? They belong 1 p.m. on Fox with Adam Admin and, and Mark Sanchez buried in that inexplicable window. Or with Chris Myers and whoever his broadcast partner is. It should be buried 1 o'clock on Fox every single Sunday. In the uh, part, of the, part of the filling time rotation. On red zone. That's it. I don't want to see him play on Thursday night. I don't want to see him play on Sunday night. Thanksgiving. Monday night. Out. It is enough. Because every. I mean. How much more evidence have you in the National Football League. You need. To show that the Chicago Bears. Are a, put on a lousy product. When when showcase. Stand alone in prime time. I don't know how many more examples. Do you, do, do you, do you need. Do you have to do you have to be shown to you? The NFL is not about market size, okay? It's not about market size. It's about whether or not the damn team's good. Okay? Nobody, nobody cares about market size. Nobody. In the NFL, and this is the only professional sports league where it matters, it's solely on whether or not the team is good. I could care less about market size. If the Super Bowl this year is Packers versus Bills, over 100 million people are going to watch. Okay, Sun, when they play each other in, on Sunday night, a few weeks from this Sunday, okay, 30, about 25 to, to 30 million people up against the World Series are going to watch. Little old Green Bay, Wisconsin, little old Buffalo, New York. Market size is ear bleeping relevant. We watch because they have the superstar quarterback and because their team is good, their team is entertaining, and and these two teams, in this case, they're Super Bowl contenders. That is why we watch. We do not watch these teams in prime time because of their market size. That is the most overrated, overblown thing the NFL has going. You put the Bears on because of Chicago. Nobody cares. I'm not interested, and the rest of America doesn't care. That, it, that, it, that they play in the city of Chicago, thus they must be on national television every single time we turn around. Stop force-feeding us Chicago Bears and get the Chicago Bears the hell off my damn TV. It is enough. It's enough. And the idea... That we got to sit back and and deal with Ron Rivera in the post game, lose lose his lose his mind, and sit up here and 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 go on a tirade in the post game press conference about Carson Wentz when he straight up threw Carson Wentz underneath the bus and then ran him over ad infinitum to the media earlier this week and then all of his, all of a sudden is going to run to his defense in the post in the in the in the post game press conference after the game at midnight that that's tough to stomach. I got to be fair. That that that's that's tough to stomach. 
you threw him underneath the bus, Ron, and you single-handedly told us why he's the reason why your team is in the shitter in the NFC East and everybody else is playing with a 500 record. Everybody else is either 4-1 and one in the Giants and the Cowboys case or 5-0 and oh in the Philadelphia Eagles and your team is still spinning its damn wheels. You, you sat up there and you told us that it was essentially Carson Wentz's fault. Now, all of a sudden, in, in a game that you are lucky to win by the hair of your chinny-chin damn chin, and a game that Carson Wentz didn't even throw for over 100 yards, and you're going to sit up here and you're going to berate the media and cuss them out in the post-game press conference? And in a, in a game that you were lucky enough to hit your knees and thank the good Lord Jesus Christ, you were lucky, you were blessed enough to win? And all of a sudden, he's gonna he gonna weigh the pom poms for Carson Wentz who stinks. Really? Really? I I mean, you you got you get you gotta be kidding me. You you got you you gotta be kidding me. If you're Ron Rivera, you gotta be. I mean that that that's insu that's insulting the media's and, and everyone else's intelligence. I mean, you you get. I mean, you get that that that's rough to stomach. I gotta be. You gotta be honest. That you that that's pathetic. If you're Ron, that's pathetic. Washington did win the game. If you uh, if you care, and there were touchdowns scored, unlike last week's debacle. Week six picks. National Football League in the league where they play. For pay. The San Francisco 49ers, who are five and a half point favorites, taking on the Atlanta Falcons. San Francisco took care of business last time out against the Carolina Panthers. Road trip for them as they remain on the East Coast to play Atlanta, coming off of uh, coming off of their uh, loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. Game of the San Francisco 49ers win this game by the final score of 28 to 17. The Cleveland Browns are three-point favorites, coming off of their uh, heartbreaking, frustrating last-second loss to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers last Sunday as they play host to the New England Patriots who are coming off of their 29 to nothing shutout blowout victory against the Detroit Ti Detroit Tigers. Detroit Lions, give me the Cleveland Browns win this game by the final score of 24 to 17 as we move along with the New York Jets who are 7 point underdogs taking on the Green Bay Packers who who uh, lost last time out aforementioned in London. To the Jets in stadium rival, uh, New York Giants. Jets coming off of a uh, impressive victory, blowout victory last week at home against division rival Miami Dolphins. Give me the uh, New York, excuse me, give me the um, Green Bay Packers to win this game and a 24 to 21 nail biter. As we move ahead with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who somehow, some way, uh, gift wrapped. Uh, the uh, Houston Texans, their first win of the 2022 season, as uh, as they uh, take on as they were coming off of their victory against the um, against the, uh, the the 
the Texans coming off of their victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, meanwhile, the uh, Indianapolis Colts are coming off of their embar uh, coming off of their embarrassing uh, yet gutsy Thursday night victory over the uh, Denver Broncos last Thursday night. They're two point favorites. Give me the Indianapolis Colts to lose this game by the final score of uh, 17 to 14. As they move it along, as the Minnesota Vikings are three-point favorites, taking on the Miami Dolphins. Minnesota won last time out by the hair of their chinny chin chin against the uh, Green Bay against the uh, Chicago Bears. Excuse me, last time at home, and uh, in, in a lead that they blew, and then they took right back against Justin Fields and company at U.S. Bank Stadium last Sunday. As they fly south to take on the Miami Dolphins, coming off of their aforementioned blowout loss. Uh, to the Jets last week, give me the Minnesota Vikings to win this game by the final score of 31 to 21. The Chicago Bears, excuse me, Chicago Bears, the Cincinnati Bengals, my Cincinnati Bengals, one and a half point favorites, coming off of their Sunday night defeat at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens last week. They fly uh, south to Nolens. Uh, and a homecoming game for Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Trey Hendrickson, Von Bell, Hendrickson, Von Bell, former Saints, uh, Jamar, and uh, and uh, Burrow, of course, ex-LSU Tigers, won the national championship in the Superdome uh, back in January of 2020. Uh, they returned to their uh, place of glory to take on Andy Dalton. Third straight season in a row, he gets the revenge game. He had one in 20. 20 as a Dallas Cowboy had one in 2021 as a uh, as a uh, member of the uh, Chicago as had one in 2021 as a member of the Chicago Bears, um, and now this time he has one uh, as a member of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, wouldn't it be ironic? Third time for Trump for Andy Dalton and the New Orleans Saints coming off of their uh, uh, shootout, high scoring, and that was an entertaining game between them and the Seahawks last week uh, as they take on the Cincinnati Bengals coming off of their uh, shootout victory against Seattle. Uh, this is a game the Bengals have to have. Two and three, if they don't win this game, they are in deep in a deep and in a heap of uh, trouble. Uh, I, uh, I picked, well, you know what, homecoming game for the Bengals. Hopefully, Lord willing, they've yet to score 30 points this season. They allowed Geno Smith to score over 30 points, so what the hell makes me think that the Bengals can't? Uh, something's got to give. Eventually, they got to reach over the 30-point mark, something they have not done uh, since the weeks since their Week 17 victory at home back in back in January of this calendar year last season against Kansas City. They will eclipse the 30-point mark and beat the New Orleans Saints by the final score of 31-17. And the Baltimore Ravens are five-and-a-half-point favorites coming off of their victory against the aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals last Sunday night. They play uh, the New York Football Giants in the Wink-Martindale revenge game coming off of their uh, shocking upset victory over the Green Bay Packers last week. They return back home. Uh, back to the uh, back to uh, MetLife Stadium. Give me the Baltimore Ravens to win this game in a defensive slugfest by the final score of 17 to 14. Baltimore favorite minus five and a half. 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play the Pittsburgh Steelers coming off of their uh, victory against the uh, coming off of their victory against the um, uh, against the Atlanta Falcons at home last week. They head to Pittsburgh who are licking their wounds. Kenny Pickett and the crew uh, after getting embarrassed by the Buffalo Bills up at Orchard Park uh, last Sunday. Uh, give me the Tembe Buccaneers to win this game by the final score of 31-7. We move things along. Tampa Bay, 8.5-point favorites. The Rams are 10.5-point favorites, taking on the Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule, he got canned earlier this week. No quarterback, but then again, Matt Rule didn't exactly distinguish himself as a, uh, as a head coach in the NFL. Uh, with the uh, with the Carolina Panthers, it was time he was getting stale. Uh, rumors of him losing the locker room. The team was bad. Uh, the move had to be made. Give me the Los Angeles Rams to get back on track at least for now against an easy opponent, uh, taking care of business against the uh, Panthers by the final score of 28 to 13. We move things along with the Arizona Cardinals, who are three-point favorites, going up against the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Keep in mind also, if the Mariners win Game 3 on Saturday, thus will force a Game 4. If they scave off elimination in Game 3 on Saturday, the Cardinals-Seahawks game will be pushed back 90 minutes to 5.30 Eastern Time. 230 out west. So keep that in mind as well. The stadiums are right next to each other. Play in the same uh stadium district, if you will, right next to each other with uh what is it called? Uh I don't even know. It's Century Link and what is it? Lumen Field now. It's the stadium is right oh is is across the street, uh over top or excuse me, behind uh left field in the left field section of T Mobile Park. Give me the Seattle Seahawks coming off of their victory uh, over, the, or excuse me, coming off of their heartbreaking loss to the and uh, a nail and a shootout nail biter to the Saints last week. Giving the Seahawks to win this game by the final score of 28 to 21 against the Seattle, or excuse me, against the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals favored by a field goal. The Buffalo Bills are two and a half point favorites in what's a highly anticipated game of the year. Buffalo coming off of their shootout dominant victory against the Pittsburgh Steelers last Sunday afternoon. They head to Kansas City, third straight year in a row. Bills versus Chiefs at Arrowhead. Kansas City coming off of a uh, heart-racing Monday night victory against the division rival, um, against the division rival uh, Las Vegas Raiders on Monday night. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game by the final score of 24 to 17. Uh, as two and a half point favorites in the 425 game of the week on CBS. The Sunday night game, NFC East for first place. The undefeated Eagles, five point favorites coming off of their victory courtesy of a missed field goal. Uh, in the closing seconds, Arizona Cardinals in the desert last week as the as they take on the 4-1 Dallas Cowboys. They've won four games in a row since their week one defeat against Tampa at home uh, on that Sunday night to begin the season. They are coming off of an uh, impressive dominant victory against the defending 
Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams last week as uh, as they look to to uh, be the first team this season to knock off the undefeated Eagles and to claim first place in the NFC East, something that none of us would have expected after losing that Prescott in just the awful way uh, that week one game against uh, Tampa turned out. Give me the uh, Dallas Cowboys to w- give me the Dallas Cowboys to win this game in a 24 to 21 upset over the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night. Eagles five and a half point favorites. The Chargers coming off of their last second victory. That also at the hands of a missed field goal by a Browns kicker, Cade York. They return back home to host the anemic Denver Broncos and their pathetic offense coming off of their Thursday night overtime loss to the Indianapolis Colts on Thursday night. Last Thursday night, I should say. Give me the Los Angeles Chargers to win this game by the final score of 21 to 7 by the final score of 21 to 14 and those ladies and gentlemen are your week 6 picks against the spread so you got a good solid weekend of sports ahead of you you got you got two very good college football games on the docket you got Tennessee Versus Alabama, Alabama coming off of their last second victory against uh, against Texas against Texas A and M uh, last um, against Texas A and M last Saturday night. Um, you also have a compelling game between um, between Michigan and Penn State, fifth ranked Michigan against ten. 10th ranked uh, Penn State. So you got two big time college football games, the Michigan Penn State game on Fox, the uh, the Alabama Tennessee game, Alabama ranked at number three, Tennessee ranked at six, Alabama six and Tennessee five and at Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, at 3.30 on CBS, you got two big-time college football games coming your way on Saturday. Not to mention in baseball, you have, uh, of course, you have games. Uh, you got two game threes going on in the National League Division Series as the series shifts to Philadelphia and San Diego uh, with the Braves and the uh, with the Braves and Phillies and the Dodgers and the uh, and the Padres with both of those series tied at a game apiece and then game two up at the Bronx on a Friday afternoon game two ALDS between the Guardians and the Yankees and then you got four games all day on Saturday from two o'clock in the afternoon to nine thirty seven at night you got uh, you got uh, games you got game, two game fours. Uh, between uh, you got two game fours that are the opener and the nightcaps uh, in the National League Division Series with the with two game threes in Cleveland and Seattle sandwiched in uh, sandwiched in as the uh, ma- as the, the uh, Mariners try to scave off elimination and avoid the sweep with the Astros with a 2-0 series lead and game three either being a game the Yankees look to complete the sweep depending on if they take care of Benson game two up at the Bronx this afternoon or a game in which Cleveland tries to take the lead, tries to take the lead for the first time this series if they're able to split the series, split the two games in New York coming up 
uh, later uh, coming up later today or currently in progress right now at the time this episode is released. And then, of course, you have the uh, the Week 6 of National Football League. You got a couple of intriguing games in a 1 o'clock window with the Ravens and the Giants and the Jets and the Packers. Uh, and then, of course, the 425 highly anticipated game between the Bills and the Chiefs. Sunday night game between the uh between the cowboys and the uh the cowboys and the uh and the eagles for first place in the nfc east and you also got some games going on 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 sunday up against your football uh with uh get with uh just with four games on sunday uh with seattle and houston at three phillies and uh, atlanta at 4 30 uh, the uh, Yankees and Guardians at seven on uh, TBS, and then of course uh, the nightcap at nine o'clock between the uh, Padres and the uh, Dodgers. And if you're a hockey fan, you got your hockey team, which I wouldn't watch if you paid me. If you put it in my backyard, I'd draw the blinds. But if you're a hockey fan, you also got your your also you have your first regular seat, your first weekend of the 22-23 NHL. Uh, regular season so you got that you got playoff baseball you got the two college football games of note to pay attention to on a national level of course along with your favorite uh, college uh, team playing this this Saturday as well and of course uh, week six NFL coming up on Sunday with the two big games at 425 in at Arrowhead and the Sunday night game at Lincoln Financial on Sunday night football that is your show and another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and are new to the show, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast. The show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it TIS. It is your boy Jai Shields. Enjoy the weekend. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care, everybody. I will talk to you on Tuesday. Be blessed. See ya.